Welcome to the Alliance Live podcast, spotlighting emerging issues, examples of good practice and innovation taking place within health and social care in Scotland. Hello everyone, my name is Carmen Papatadutu and I'm the Digital Health and Care National Lead at the Health and Social Care Alliance Scotland. I'm speaking today to Professor Colin Espy, who is Professor of Sleep Medicine at the University of Oxford, author of numerous books and papers, as well as a world-renowned expert on the topic. Professor Espy is also the founder of Big Health, who have recently announced that NHS Scotland will be offering two apps, Sleepio, designed to support those suffering with insomnia, and Daylight, created to support those facing anxiety, free of charge for all people living in Scotland. So hello, Colin, and thank you very much for joining us today. Hello, Carmen. It's lovely to speak to you today. Um, so just, just to start, could you please tell us a bit more about Big Health and what you do with a particular focus on the recent Scotland launch and the NHS Scotland partnership? Well, I've worked um, you know, my whole career in the NHS uh, and in clinical academic uh, services, trying to develop treatments and make them available uh, to people. And the background to this really is that, although I'm not myself a technical expert by any manner of means, uh, I realized that digital was a way in which people could access cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT for short. So what we've done is developed these products and tested them in clinical trials, um, Sleepio and Daylight, as you were saying. And uh, it's great news that the Scottish government have recognized uh, the, the um, evidence base behind these approaches um, as a, a way of treating insomnia and anxiety rather than just giving people pills people can get access to CBT anywhere in Scotland who has a difficulty with these uh, problems it's a real first for Scotland to be doing this it's the first country in the world to offer access to the whole of the country to digital treatments that, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And could you tell us a bit more in, in practical terms? So what does it mean for people living in Scotland? What do they need to do to access um, these two apps? Is there a particular website or where should they go to find out more? The way to access uh, these uh, programs is for insomnia. Go to sleepio.com forward slash NHS or for daylight, which is for anxiety problems, go to trydaylight.com forward slash NHS. I should say, Carmen, that there are um, apps that support the programmes, um, but it's really important to think about this not just as, as an app, but as a treatment. We're, we're very familiar, for example, with uh, things that we can go and buy in the shops uh, as pills. We could buy pills in the chemist or um, in the supermarket, but these would be a different kind of pill from what you get from the doctor for something that's recommended as a treatment for you. So there's pills and there's pills. And in the same way, there are apps and there are apps. <laughs> so Sleepy and Daylight are not just apps, they're treatments. They're not just consumer um, products. They're, they're actually there to give you really clinical help with uh, problems during insomnia and anxiety that are troubling you on a day-to-day -day basis. That's a really good distinction to make. And um, I was actually, I, I was saying this earlier that I do have a particular interest in this story as when I was a student, I actually took part in one of the very early Sleepio trials. And despite only using the program for a limited period of time, I, I recognize what you're saying. So being part of it made a lasting impact on my own behavior to sleep and how I treat the importance of rest. So 
could you tell us a bit more about that and so the importance of sleep in general to overall health and what the longer term side effects of insomnia and bad sleep quality can be? Yeah, certainly. And, and great to hear, Carmen, that sleep here yourself and it's, that it's helped you. I mean, I think my starting point here in relation to sleep would be just to think about what is sleep for? I think sometimes we think of sleep as oh, just a lifestyle thing or something something to do when it's dark because uh, there's not much going on or something. But actually, sleep is, a, is really crucial for all aspects of our mental health and for our brain function. Sleep is something that all animals, insects, birds, fish, reptiles, um, and human beings, of course, uh, all creatures need sleep because sleep is what restores us for day-to-day function and keeps us healthy, if you like, it's, it's nature's uh, medicine. So when we don't have enough sleep, it's not just that we have a troubled night. The consequences of poor sleep are that our emotions are, are upset, uh, it's hard to regulate our feelings, we're liable to, to feel down or depressed, that we feel um, tired, of course, during the daytime, when we've not slept well, that make, makes it difficult to concentrate, difficult to pay attention, difficult to remember things. And of course, there are direct effects also on our physical health. And at times like this, during COVID, it's particularly important we get our sleep in order to cope with all the stresses of, of the day and the experience of, of living with COVID. But also because sleep is really, really important for immune function, immune signaling. So in every aspect of life, sleep is, is pretty central. And, and that's why it's there for us. Thank you. So I, I can really see then the importance of targeted interventions and supporting behavior change, I suppose, through digital treatments, you call them, is that correct? Yes, I would call them digital uh, treatments. I I think that's really the best way to think about it because when we have got difficulties, there's really two options available to us. One is a pill-based approach uh, to take medication when we feel sad or anxious or can't sleep. And the other approach uh, is to use cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more of a self-help-based approach, but one which has uh, got treatment credentials. And you'll find that CBT is actually in the, the clinical guidelines that, that doctors and healthcare professionals follow as a recommended treatment, um, you know, rather than just taking uh, pills. Of course, you can do both things sometimes, but very often people prefer to find a solution themselves. And that's what CBT does for you. It helps you to find a solution uh, to these challenging difficulties uh, with your daytime, when you're anxious, or your nighttime when you can't sleep. So how do you think these digital solutions could be integrated into the care system as, as part of a wider mental health management? Yeah, the integration of, of digital treatments into the healthcare system is, is, is really exciting. And I think Scotland is is really the first country in the world that's actively doing this, Um, thinking about ways in which you can scale up cognitive behavioural therapy to make it as available to the population at large as as drug treatments are available. Now, traditionally, CBT has been delivered face-to-face when you go to see a psychologist or you sit down with a therapist and you work through a programme. What the digital treatments do is they take you through those treatment programmes on a more remote basis um, by going online uh, to follow sleep your daylight program or using the, the apps. But the content uh, of the, the programs is just the same and the evidence base is just as strong. And what this means is that integrating digital treatment into um, everyday care means that there's a direct alternative um, when you're looking for help. 
And of course, we also want to integrate it into in-person care so that your clinical psychologist or your therapist or your CMHT uh, or other people, your GP or others who are looking after you uh, can suggest to you, you follow these programs as a recommended course of action. And maybe at times you're also seeing someone to help you, say, with your depression. But alongside that, you can get help through Sleepio for your insomnia uh, problem. So the integration work is, is really you know, a big part of what's going on right now and will be a very important part of work in uh, next year in 2022. And I think our NHS colleagues are, are, are excited about that journey as, as much as we are. And I know some of the arguments we hear you know, for and against digital solutions are that, yes, in some cases, it really helps people access um, solutions and um, I suppose therapy and interventions that are more suited to them, particularly if they live in a location where they might not have access to face-to-face services. But there are also concerns that this move to digital could create inequalities and exclude those who are not um, able to access devices or connectivity. So I was wondering if you have any, any thoughts on that. Yes, I think that the whole access issue is hugely important um, throughout the country, indeed uh, throughout the world. And of course, it is a challenge in general for service provision that people from more disadvantaged groups um, or different cultural groups or ethnic backgrounds are less likely to access help. That, that is very true, actually, for in-person care. That, that's one of the challenges that, that people won't necessarily and take, pick up the phone, make an appointment and go and see someone at a hospital or a clinic. So the equity of access issue is, is very much there for all forms of intervention. And I think it's by having a, a range of types of intervention uh, that we begin to address the, the access issue so that people have, have choices um, of how they may go about uh, you know, receiving help. Sometimes the digital approach is actually a little bit easier for people because it's more in private and it's readily accessed on, on devices that you already have. Of course, uh, you know, some people don't have access to bandwidth or don't have access to devices, uh, although that is very much changing over, over um, the recent years and decades. But still, that's something we should be concerned about. So we're interested to work with the NHS, for example, to find ways in which people can go to a community resource and access the programmes on a, a laptop or, or a, a desktop device that's in the library in that location or in the health centre, in the resource room or whatever. I think it's a lot about creativity and we must keep um, the equity agenda very, very much in, in, in mind. One point I would make, Carmen, is that we find that there's actually an increasing number of older adults, meaning middle-aged to older adults, who are using digital approaches. And in fact, in one aspect of the Sleepio program, which is a Sleepio community, where people can post comments and thoughts and, and, and interact with others who are going through the program together, there's actually more older people than there are younger people on that social community within Sleepio, which actually surprised me a little bit when I found that out. So sometimes we can, we can have um, incorrect hypotheses of, about who uses uh, digital approaches. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. We need to be really careful about the assumptions that we're making. Um, so moving on, following the 
updated National Institute for Healthcare and Excellence um, guidelines suggesting that therapy should be a first point of treatment for depression as opposed to antidepressants. Could you tell us your thoughts on whether you think this will influence NHS treatment programs? And I know you've already touched on having medication and other forms of treatment side by side. But what, what are your thoughts on this more widely? It's an internationally recognized body, you know, speaking authoritatively about what works for whom and what, what the best treatment approaches are. But sadly, what, one of the problems that, that I, I think myself as a clinician and, and, and most other clinicians have been frustrated about over the years is that although guidelines can tell us that A, B and C are the best things to do, the problem is that A, B and C are not always available. So for a long time, the guidelines for insomnia, you know, at least 15 to 20 years, have recommended that CBT should be the treatment of first choice. But in practice, people can't get access to uh, CBT in the same way as they can get access to sleeping pills. And the same is true for depression and anxiety. And the recent guideline that came out around from now, you mentioned there that the people should be given psychological therapy as opposed to antidepressants as a first point of treatment is, is a great standard to have. But in reality, there's no way on earth that can be uh, delivered. Um, the chances of getting you know, therapy compared to the drugs are probably one in many thousands, to be honest. So that is why a digital approach uh, is really exciting because it is a way of closing that treatment gap. It's a way of emphasizing what you can do to help yourself in ways that are evidence-based, but not just emphasizing it, a way of saying, here's how, follow this program. And one of the things that's crucial there is that, uh, you know, these programs are, are evidence-based, whether that program is, you know, an exercise program or a mindfulness program or a cognitive behavioral therapy program. If it's a treatment that's there instead of antidepressants, it's got to have an evidence base. You know, I often differentiate between what we call evidence-informed and evidence-based. You know, so just taking some content from an exercise program, mindfulness or CBT, and putting it online or creating an app might be an evidence-informed thing to do that, well, the things that are in here are informed by the evidence, but it is not evidence-based unless it has been specifically subjected to clinical trials uh, to show that it actually works. Because we shouldn't be giving people things that aren't proven to work instead of um, antidepressants, for example, because there's a difference here between, if you like, a well-being product uh, or a well-being need that a person might have and a treatment need that people might have. That's really interesting. And if, if I may ask an additional question, you were talking there about closing the access gap and ensuring equity in doing so. And I know that some people are concerned when it comes to digital they have ways that it will replace face-to-face -face treatment or that it's somehow less effective, although I know you touched on the evidence base. But then you also you were talking about the community aspect of CPO. And peer support is something that we hear again and again that it's immensely valuable to people who are seeking to support their self-management. Could you could you tell us a bit more about how CPO sort of blends the digital and the peer support element? Yes. Well, first of all, you're mentioning about the comparison with face-to-face -face therapy. I mean, I think the, the crucial thing to, to highlight here is that my personal belief is that psychology 
and, and clinical psychology, if you like, you know, that, that is providing clinical grade treatments through psychological practitioners, whether they're psychologists or other therapists, that psychology is an essential service. It's not a nice to have, although it is nice to have. It's a need to have. You need to have a service that provides psychological care that's evidence-based to the community. Now, the comparison then between face-to-face therapy and digital, what digital is, is a way of delivering that psychological care that supplements the capacity that face-to-face therapy can deliver. If you take the pandemic, for example, there's been a huge uplift in the number of people who are suffering from things like insomnia, anxiety, and depression. And clearly that uplift has been caused by a psychological threat. The virus has affected our, our, our health directly, but the virus is not a viral problem that's causing us to be depressed or anxious or can't sleep. It's, it's, a, it's a human threat. It's a sense of uncertainty. It's fear. It's anxiety. It, 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 you know, it, it's struggling to sleep with all this on our mind. And that very much needs a psychological response. So psychological therapies um, you know, need to come in many shapes and forms. They need to work together because our duty of care is to provide to that essential service. And I see face-to-face therapy, group therapy, teletherapy, uh, all these things working alongside digital to provide a comprehensive service that, that means that every day anyone anywhere in Scotland can get psychological therapy as an alternative to medication. So far from being something that's threatening face-to-face therapy, I think it will actually help to increase um, the number and range of therapists that we have and to create a a stronger and and bigger service of psychological care for the community uh, as a whole. The second part of your question was really about, I think, community and support and the peer-to-peer aspect um, of it. What I would say to that is that, you know, psychological care and psychological well-being isn't, isn't the, the province only of professionals? You know, if people are listening to this podcast and are not feeling well, if they're feeling a bit down, um, if they're feeling a bit anxious or can't sleep, certainly you can go to sleepy on daylight. Certainly you can, you can, um, you can contact your, your healthcare professionals. But you can and should also speak to people you trust. That human contact, that human um, interaction, uh, that's sense-checking of, how, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Is this normal to feel this way, etc.? Is is really really important, and it's often in that context that an individual will think, or their friends will say, "I think you need a bit more help than I can offer." You know, that's the point at which you decide I need to go and you'll get some help. If if you fall and injure your leg, um, and you may or may not decide that you need to do anything about it. But if you can't walk, you go to the A&E, right? If, you, if you've broken your leg, it's because you can't walk. It's the consequence of things that helps you to realize I need more help than just that, that um, you know, peer-to-peer support can offer. And within the Sleepier program, as I mentioned earlier, there is also that peer-to-peer support element there in the, in the, in the Sleepio uh, community. So although we're emphasizing here, you know, interventions for insomnia and anxiety, it's important perhaps to say that Improving our sleep is also a pathway to improving our mood because, because one of the, the, the key findings from our research is including work we've done with NHS England recently through their Improving Access to Psychological Therapy Services, or IAP, is that people who use Sleepio as part of their um, programme in terms of managing their, their mental health 
not only improve their sleep, but reduce their levels of depression. So sleep, anxiety, and depression are all kind of connected. And when we work in one of those things, we often find that we get more generalized improvements. And, and that's tremendously encouraging when sometimes we can feel very overwhelmed with lots of symptoms occurring day and night. Thank you. That's absolutely fascinating. And it's good to hear that there's so much consideration for all the different elements and how they connect with each other. So just to end this absolutely fascinating conversation, could you tell us what the next focuses are for Big Health? What are you planning on doing next? The reason I, I get involved in this in the first place, and I should say, Carmen, that I'm on this podcast talking you know, about digital treatments. My, my children and my grandchildren I think it's hilarious that I'm involved with digital stuff because they're not particularly technically minded. But I do know who, people who are, and that's how we were able to develop these, these interventions that really work. What has always been the case and will be the next focus and will always be the focus is trying to deliver against, you know, what is a huge national agenda, which is mental health is every bit as important as physical health. That parity of esteem, as it's often called, is hugely important. And our focus is to find ways in which we can work with the, the health service to be able to help them deliver against that parity of esteem agenda. I don't want Sleepy on Daylight to be seen as coming from me or coming from big health. I want them to be seen as things that are provided to you by your healthcare system because they work. The NHS, to my knowledge, doesn't make anything at all. It doesn't make wheelchairs. It doesn't make syringes. It doesn't make vaccines. It, it doesn't make drugs. It doesn't make bandages. It doesn't build the buildings. What the NHS does is procure things for you that are known to be effective and safe and delivers them to you. And, and what I want to do, and the continuing focus for Big Health, is to do our very, very best to develop treatments at work. And if they meet the standards uh, that the NHS uh, and NICE guidelines, et cetera, require, then I want to work with the NHS to make sure we can deliver treatments at work to people so that their mental health can be looked after every bit as well as their physical health. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And we can only hope that this vision will become a reality. Thank you very much for your input today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. It was great to speak to you, Carmen. Thank you. You can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Alliance Live also produce webinars, video interviews, and case studies. Watch these by visiting www.alliance-scotland.com org.uk forward slash live to follow along regularly with alliance live content use the hashtag alliance live on twitter